the Blaze Radio Network. On demand. And go for Mike Slater in three, two, one. You're listening to Mike Slater, part of the next generation of talk radio, only on the Blaze Radio Network. Saturday is America's the greatest country in the world. Happy Saturday. Thanks for being here. So, talking about culture, and this all stems from Trump's speech in Poland from, I guess, a week and a half ago, where he's talking about Western civilization and a bunch of progressives attacked him for that. And I said, oh, geez, I guess we need to talk about Western civilization and, and talk about culture. Remember last week we talked all about uh, Thomas Sowell's book, Black Rednecks and White Liberals? Just please buy it. I'm... 20% through. It's awesome. I got to finish it before I can give it the required reading, but it is well on its way to being required reading for the Mike Slater show. It is fantastic. Black rednecks and white liberals by the great Thomas soul. Anyway, I want to talk about uh, another aspect uh, of culture. Progressives and conservatives are different. I'm not sure if you knew that. I mean, those were all human, right? And we have a lot in common too, but there are some big differences. It's a lot more than just, this person supports higher taxes and this person supports lower taxes. That's the surface. That's, that's the result of our differences, but there are underlying personality differences and, and moral foundations to use Jonathan hates language, uh, that lead people to want either higher or lower taxes. So there's a study done a few years back on the personality profiles of conservatives and liberals. And I want to quote from that. In general, they, they said, liberals are more open-minded. Now, hold on, hold on, hold on. They're saying open-minded about a specific thing, which we'll get to. Because I know you're thinking, hold on, I've seen college campuses. There's nothing open-minded about the liberals on that, those campuses. Um, that's not what they're talking about. Uh, we'll get to it in a second, but liberals are more open-minded, creative, curious, and novelty seeking. Whereas conservatives are more orderly, conventional, and better organized. So this author uh, of an uh, article I read about this looked at country music as an example. Do you listen to country music? My wife and I, we were driving somewhere the other day and Rodney Atkins watching you came on the radio. I know you've heard this song. It's about a kid and his dad uh, driving and someone cuts him off. So the dad slams on the brakes and the kid's chicken nuggets go flying and the, the little kid lets out a four-letter word. And dad says, what? Where did you learn that? And then it breaks into the chorus and the kid says, I've been watching you, dad. Ain't that cool? I'm your buckaroo. I want to be like you. We got cowboy boots and camo pants. They were just alike, hey, ain't we, Dad? I want to do everything you do, so I've been watching you. So then the dad prays to be a better father, and the next night, his son, uh, when, when Dad's putting him to bed, the little kid gets out of bed and gets on his knees and prays, and Dad says, well, where'd you learn to do that? And the kid says, well, I've been watching you. Dad, ain't that cool? I'm your buckaroo. I want to be like you, and it goes on. Cool song. So we have a nine-month-old son, and that song, I've heard it a million times, but it's extra sentimental. But we were driving, and I said to my wife, gosh, I can't believe that that song about praying is on the radio. In our culture today, where there are more atheists than ever before, and even if it's a small number, there's just the boldness 
to attack God and Christianity and prayer. Uh, that's certainly higher than everywhere. And this song unashamedly celebrates prayer. And that's good, but it's odd. And that's not good <laughs> that it's still odd. But my, my first question, I have two questions too. Um, or number one, why does country music maintain this traditional character? How does it? And the answer to that is because country music is centered in Nashville, Tennessee. If country music moved its headquarters to LA, then it would change the music. But right now, all the artists live in Nashville. All the record companies are in Nashville. So the artists and the record companies, they, they, um, if they don't grow up in Nashville, then they, they bathe in this culture every single day. So it just makes sense. For example, did you see, I don't want to get out. This is a whole sidetrack here, but a bunch of preachers, evangelical preachers went to the white house, the Oval office. And there was this picture that went around of, uh, these people praying and laying hands on the president and Aaron Burnett on CNN said something like, look at this picture of the president and people praying on the president. What's going on here? It's, it's a little strange. Well, we'll explain what this is coming up or something like that. It's like, huh? You don't know what that is? It's cultural. Of course she doesn't know what it is. People in Nashville do. But the bigger question is, why do conservatives like country music? For the most part, of course, these are broad brushes. Let me quote from this writer. He says, country music comes again and again to the marvel of advancing through life's stations and finds delight in experiencing traditional familial and social relationships from both sides. Meaning once I was a girl with a mother, now I'm a mother with a girl. My parents took care of me. Now I'm going to take care of them. I was once a teenage boy threatened by a girl's gun-loving father. Now I'm a gun-loving father threatening my girl's teenage boyfriend, etc. And and country music is full of assurances. This is, I think, the key part. Country music is full of assurances that the pleasures of simple, rooted, small-town lives of faith are deeper and more abiding than any alternative. So let's bring this back around. Progressives are, personality-wise, generally more open-minded to new experiences. That's what that is. It's not open-minded to new ideas and perspectives. It's to new experiences, like visiting other countries, trying new foods, trying new drugs, like recreational drugs, um, bucking conventional norms, stuff like that, right? Conservatives are not. Conservatives are more closed to new experiences. We like the natural progression of things, right? From son to father, to grandpa, right? That's a, um, we like order. We like predictability. Think of, uh, and I don't know where you're listening right now, but if you live in a country area or if you have a, a very conservative grandpa, like an old, I'm thinking an old country, good old country boy grandpa. And if you went to him and you said, grandpa, great news. I was listening to Mike Slater on the radio and he said that he is going to pay an all-expense-paid trip for you to go to Paris. Come on, Pop. You're going to Paris. We're going to fly you there. You're going to stay in nice hotels. You're going to eat great French food. 
and you're going to stay for a week. Come on, let's go. It's entirely free. <laughs> I'm almost confident your grandpa would say, mm, no, thanks. I don't want to. What? I'd rather just stay right here. This is fine. I got to do some stuff in the backyard anyway. I don't have time to go to Paris. <laughs> right? Conservative. And, you know, if you're more progressive, then you'd be like, I'm going to Paris. And if you're more conservative, you're like, man, I don't. So why do conservatives like country music generally? Because it reinforces to people who are inclined that way. I am. Uh, it, it reinforces to people who don't like new experiences and um, aren't inclined to just fly off to Paris, even if we could. It reinforces to us that life's most powerful and meaningful moments are those which you already experience. This is why country music resonates. You don't have to go to Paris. You have the old dirt road. You don't have to go to LA and try and date a supermodel. The girl from your kindergarten class who you used to hate, but now you realize she's kind of cute. That's your soulmate. You don't need the fast-paced big city life. It's the one stoplight town that has the real meaning of life. And by the way, there's nothing in Europe that can beat the spot by the river where you had your first kiss. That's country music. It reinforces those truths. You know the word bulwark? Bulwark's one of my favorite words. It's a, a B-U-L-W-A-R-K, bulwark. It's a defensive wall, a rampart, a fortification, a stockade, a barricade. And in a quickly changing world and culture, country music is a bulwark. It's a blockade against cultural change. Country music is a bomb shelter where you can run to in a culture that's out of control. And if you feel like you're, and you and we are losing track of what's really important in life and things are just going totally loco, listen to Small Town USA by Justin Moore. Listen to This Ain't Nothing by Craig Morgan. Listen to Just Fishing by Trace Atkins. You want to go a little old school? Go to the King. George Strait, I saw God today. That is traditional American values, small town music. Small town, excuse me, values. Now, my wife and I, we just saw the movie Troy the other day about the, uh, the Iliad. If traditional American values are the city of Troy, country music is the impenetrable wall around our city, protecting us from progressive postmodern Marxist values. These walls can't be torn down, but the Trojan horse is going to try to trick us by letting us in, by letting us, by, by tricking us into letting it in. So be aware of those Trojan horses, but also listen to some country music. It's good for you. one 93 Do I have time to share this story? Let me take a break. I want to come back. I'll show you a nice story of this in action. You'll like it, I promise. Mike Slater Show. The Blade. You'll like, you want to know why you like it? You'll like it because you have those same values I was just talking about. You can't not like this story. I, that's my guarantee. This isn't even, a, I'm not even trying to overtease this. I'm going to share this story. There's no way you won't like it. Because it touches on the values that country music talks about. So if you like those songs I just listed, or, or you generally like country music because it just makes you feel good. You're going to like this story too. Mike Slater Show, The Blaze Radio Network. Spread the word. Mike Slater. We'll continue in a moment on The Blaze Radio Network.
You're listening to Mike Slater. Hello, Slater Crusaders. Thanks for being here. So I, I wrote a book. It comes out on Monday, two days. You can pre-order it now on Amazon. Uh, it's just a couple bucks. It's called How to Change Someone's Mind. And it's about how to change someone's mind. Pretty simple. It's short. I meant to, I wrote it to be read in an hour. Because I want it to be used as a guidebook. Something you can always resource and go back to. And think of think of the person in your life, family member, coworker, friend, spouse, who, let's just focus on politics for one second, who you just can't get them to see the light. For the life of you, tried everything. I think this book will help because I think there's some insight in here that um, you've never tried before. And I've tried it all, Slater. Give this a whirl. It's very different. It's not how to win an argument. It's very easy to win an argument. Ben Shapiro, who I like very much. I really like Ben Shapiro, conservative guy. He wrote a book a couple years ago called 11 Rules for destroying the left or some, or destroying a leftist, how to win an argument or something like that. It's fine, but that's not what this is. This is how to change someone's mind. So pre-order right now on Amazon. You can search for Mike Slater. You can go to our Facebook page, search for the Mike Slater show on Facebook. And uh, you can see it there, how to change someone's mind. The ebook's available. The ebook will come out Monday morning and we got the paperback coming up in a couple days and the audiobook should be available on Monday as well. So we got the whole, the whole gambit there for you. All right, here's the story I promised you would like. Give you an example of this this country music stuff and these country music values in real life. So a couple days ago, McGregor, Texas, population four thousand nine hundred eighty-seven. I love towns where you drive through them and there's a welcome sign and it has the exact number of people. <laughs> so if someone's born, they have to add a number to the sign when you're. Uh, there's nothing nearby. Waco's twenty miles away. That's the big city. That's the town that Chip and Joanna flip houses at for $50,000. <laughs> so I live in San Diego. The average house in San Diego, I don't know, what is it? It's like coming up on 700,000 for 1,600 square feet, maybe. Insane. Insane. My wife and I, we were looking for houses and we went to one, wasn't even near the beach. It was like a mile away from the beach. Total dump, total dump, 1,300 square feet, $800,000. We laughed and laughed. The poor uh, real estate agent told us that. We laughed and laughed and said, what are you talking about? So then we went home and we watched a, uh, a fixer-upper and it, they're like, like 60 grand for a house. And I love that people are, uh, their budget, they're, they got a budget of 60 grand. And the home is uh, 55000 And they're like, oh, this is great. We have an extra $5,000. We can put on a second, a second floor. <laughs> a second floor. San Diego with $5,000, you could build 4% of a kitchen. In Waco, you could build an entire second floor. Anyway, I digress. McGregor, Texas. All right, you know the place. People, you know the kind of place if you've never been there. People at the local coffee shop. It's the coffee shop cafe. And a man walks in with his wife, um, just the two of them, no big deal. But it caused uh, a resident of the town, Debbie and, and Jordan and their three kids, nine, six, and one, to turn their heads. They'd just been swimming all day. Debbie was tired, didn't want to cook, so they went out to eat at the diner. 
And uh, they look up and in, wa- in walks the former president of the United States, George W. Bush. Just walked in with his wife, sat down order. <laughs> the parents convinced the kids to go over and shake the hand of the former president. Mom says it was one of those moments where you're going, oh my gosh, that, that was the president. But at the same time, it was like everyone's grandpa walked in because it was so unexpected in such a casual environment. In some ways, we look back and we go, wow, that was a president. And trying to explain the significance to the kids, he's a president, yet the meeting seemed so unpresidential. He was so friendly, so normal. Debbie says that Bush took time to visit every person in the, in the diner before leaving. And the person sitting next to them, in the, the table next to them, uh, she overheard them talking. She says there was another young couple that he turned to, and the man was in the army. The guy told the president, it was an honor to serve you. And George, President Bush said, thank you for your service, but you did not serve me. You served your country. What you see is what you get with Bush, Debbie said, in a down-home country cafe saying hi to everyone. The graciousness was so classy. So if you agree with what I was saying in the last segment about country values, conservative values, country music you can't not like that story because it's everything we're talking about all expense trip paid uh, all expense paid trip to Paris Mm. (laughs) president of the United States he can go anywhere in the world he can do whatever he wants we'll go to this cafe right here get a bite to eat (laughs) how cool is it that we live in a country where we don't have kings where the president isn't ordained by God or, or, or arrogant enough to believe that they're in some sort of special communion with God to rule over the people. No, they're just people. And then, and then they're the president one day and then the next day there's some guy at a diner and that's absolutely how it should be. And extra, extra credit, extra credit given to George W. Bush because he's more of that kind of guy than, uh, than maybe some other foreign presidents. But there's something perfectly Americana about that entire scene. Family, three young kids, day of swimming, going to the diner for dinner. President walks in. Kids walk over, say hi. Over here, the former president talking to a veteran, of course, who was also at the diner. I'm sure there's a veteran at the diner at all times. I mean, that, that is absolutely a country song waiting to be written. <laughs> it's perfect. one 900 Coming up next, I want to get off the, uh, the beaten path here for a second and talk about stage fright. Because I don't know how relevant this is going to be for everyone listening now, but I mean, it is everyone's biggest fear, right? It's the number one fear in the, in the country is public speaking. So I want to talk about that and, and stage five specifically, what it is, like, obviously you know what it is, but like, what is it? Like what's going on in your body, in your brain when you feel it and how to get over it? Because there's someone listening right now who's about to give a big presentation at work and they're scared out of their mind. What I'm going to tell you is going to help you, I promise. We'll do that next. Mike Slater Show, The Blaze Radio Network. And to pre-order the book, just go to our Facebook page. Search for The Mike Slater Show on Facebook. Spread the word. This is Mike Slater. Part of the next generation of talk radio. On The Blaze Radio Network.
Uh, I want to talk about stage fright here because on my local show every Monday at one o'clock, we have a biographer segment and we have a different author on and uh, we ask them, what are three characteristics of this person that define them? Hopefully good things that we can apply to our life. And last Monday, we talked about Elvis. Someone wrote a book called Living Elvis, A Lonely Life. I believe that's what it's called. Really, really fascinating conversation with this guy. And ended up talking about how Elvis has stage fright. So it got me, uh, or just kind of inspired us to, to talk about stage fright and what it is. Do you get, do you get stage fright? I think everyone does. So how do we overcome it? Do not imagine everyone in their underwear. That's stupid. That doesn't, I don't even get what that, what that's about. I think the first step to overcoming stage fright is understanding what it really is. It is fight or flight. That's what it is. When we encounter this moment of having to give a speech in our brains, it is truly no different than if you were an antelope surrounded by lions. Like like your brain, a very small part of your brain, but a powerful part is triggering the fight or flight response. It's the hypothalamus part of your brain. It's the size of an almond that triggers the pituitary gland to secrete a a hormone, ACTH that makes your adrenal glands shoot adrenaline into your blood that causes different reactions in different parts of your body. So what happens when you get scared, when you get stage fright? What physical reaction happens to you? Your legs might start shaking. You're a little weak in the knees, right? Why? Those are your muscles preparing to run, fight or flight. Maybe you sweat when you're about to give a big speech or presentation. You're sweating. Is your body preparing to run? Your heart beats faster. Why? That's your body preparing to run. Me, I get dry, uh, dry mouth. My throat gets dry. That's because the adrenaline shuts your digestive system down because your body's sending energy and blood to the parts of your body that are needed to run. And your digestive system is not needed at that moment. That's why you get dry mouth and butterflies in your stomach. Your pupils dilate, right? Maybe it's, it's harder for you to read your notes. That's because your pupils dilate. Um, makes it harder to read your notes, but it does that so you can see longer range, which makes it better for you to see the threats that are in front of you, and it makes it easier for you to run. <laughs> so think about that. Everything you feel when you get nervous is your body preparing to run. So... How do we overcome this? First, know that you're feeling this, but know that it's not real. I mean, it is real. You are feeling it, but it's not based on anything real. It is your body subconsciously reacting to a perceived threat that is not there. This is the most important thing of what I'm saying about stage fright. We think, and I've always thought, that I'm giving a big speech and I have all these fears about it. And I think, oh my gosh, what if I blow it? What if they hate me? What if it's terrible? What if I forget what I'm going to say? What if this happens? What if that happens? And because I'm thinking these things, then I get nervous and my body, my my knees get weak and throat gets dry, blah, blah, blah. No, that's backwards. It's the other way around. First, the hypothalamus part of your brain subconsciously without you thinking about anything, the very first thing that is triggered, that causes your knees to be weak, your throat to get dry, your heart to race, right? Your hypothalamus prepares you to run, but 
there's really nothing, there's no lions in front of you. There's no reason to, you're not really in danger. So the rest of your brain then comes up with reasons to run, right? It comes up with excuses to run because your body's ready to run, but there's no reason to run. So then your other part of your brain just starts thinking of reasons. Oh, they're going to hate you. Uh, you're going to forget what you're going to say. It's going to hurt your reputation. You're going to fail. You're ugly, blah, 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 right? But the hypothalamus happens first. So you have to not think positive thoughts. You have to override your hypothalamus. You have to override the part of your brain that's telling the rest of your body to run. So what do you do? Your muscles contract because you're getting ready to run. So stretch. Your heart's, uh, your, your uh, breath is uh, faster. Your heart's beating faster because you're getting ready to run. So breathe deeply. So your brain wants to release more flight hormones. You got to trick your brain into releasing more relaxing hormones. It's the only way to do it. You stop, if you stop the root cause of the bad thoughts, if you stop the flight response, then you won't make the bad thoughts because the bad thoughts come second. The flight response comes first. Override the flight response and you won't have the bad thoughts. For me, the thing that helps with stage fright is knowing that everyone feels this way. Everyone. I want to quote Ringo Starr uh, of the Beatles, of course. He said, every night, I would just hope that tonight's the night when I'm going to feel like Frank Sinatra. (laughs) And I hope, oh, you're just going to stroll on stage, but I haven't made it yet. I always run. So Ringo Starr runs on stage. He says, that's why I always run on stage. I I would love to coolly stroll on stage, but I can't. (laughs) Right? His body, isn't that amazing? His body told him to run. He was so nervous, fight or flight. And the only way he could overcome it was to run on stage. So the Beatles got nervous every single night. Second approach that helps for me. First thing is knowing everyone feels this way. Second is to judo it. So judo is all about using the other person's momentum against them. Right? So if someone runs at you, you don't punch them in the face. You flip them over your shoulder. Use their momentum to flip them over your shoulder, whatever, right? That's judo. Uh, That's what Elvis did. He said, I've never gotten over what they call stage fright. I go through it every show. I never get completely comfortable with it. And I don't let people around me get comfortable with it either. In that, I remind them that it's a new crowd out there. It's a new audience and they haven't seen us before. So it's got to be like the first time we ever went on. So he judos the stage fright. And you got to do the same if you have it. Use it to your advantage. Like Ringo, right? His body's ready to run. He couldn't stop that reaction. So instead of running away, at least he ran on stage. (laughs) And as Elvis did, he used that stage fright, the nervousness, to get fired up and to get everyone else fired up around him too. The nerves mean you care. That's good. Embrace that. There's a great line out of uh, The War of Art, which is required reading uh, by Stephen Pressfield. He said, Henry Fonda was still throwing up before every stage performance, even when he was 75. In other words, fear doesn't go away. The warrior and the artist live by the same code of necessity, which dictates that the battle must be fought anew every day. Fear doesn't go away. What do you do with it is what matters. Ringo Starr ran on stage. That's what we got to do. I want to give you an example uh, just to prove again that the brain 
the brain works first. The subconscious part of the brain works first. Then you start fearing things. So what happens if there's someone who doesn't have that part of the brain? What if, what if there's someone out there where the part of the brain that makes your body go into fear mode like that, fight or flight mode, what if that part brain doesn't, doesn't work properly? I'll tell you, we're, that person's probably capable of doing some pretty incredible things. I'll tell you a story about one of those people next. one 888 Mike Slater. So the Blaze Radio Network, spread the word. You're listening to Mike Slater on the Blaze Radio Network. I want to prove that stage fright comes from the subconscious first, right? Your brain does it first without you realizing it. Then you start to rationalize your fear, right? You create fears in order to match how your body feels. Does that make sense? The, f- the fear doesn't come first. The feelings of fear comes first. Then you supply the fears. So if we could find a way to not feel fear in the first place, then you wouldn't start making up all these what ifs, what ifs, what ifs, worst case scenarios, which then you go spiral down. Now, some fear is good, right? But you know, fear tells you like, you're scared of heights because genuinely like, you're not supposed to be careful, right? Like, that your, your brain's telling you to not fall because that would, right? so, so some fear is good. But what if you could turn that off? One of the greatest, truly, I, I would argue, one of the greatest human physical achievements happened a couple weeks ago. In all of human history, one of the greatest physical human achievements, and very few people know about it. I don't want to say very few, but everyone should. Someone climbed El Capitan. El Capitan in Yosemite is a flat rock face, 3,000 feet. So, uh, it's a 300-story building. So imagine three Empire State Buildings, 3,000 feet. Someone climbed it, no ropes, free climb. No ropes, no equipment, nothing. Just his hands and his feet. Impossible. When I say impossible, I mean no one's ever thought about doing it. This isn't like, oh, a bunch of people have tried and, and maybe one day someone will. Nope. This was no one even considered the concept. It's impossible. And someone did it. So I don't know if you've ever gone rock climbing. It's awesome. You just do the indoor rock climbing if you want to go outside. Uh, it's so much fun. I love it. There are easy holds. They're called holds. And easy holds, I mean, they, they can be like a handle and something just very simple. And there's difficult holds. And a difficult hold is like holding this little tiny little itty bitty piece of rock with your two fingertips just kind of just getting and then there are impossible holds which is El Capitan which is I'm telling you it's a flat sheet of rock and sometimes there's not even like a little ledge to hold onto it's just an indentation in the rock and you have to it's called smearing you have to smear your shoes into the rock indentation and hoping that it it sticks and you just got to grab these little just with a finger you got to grab this little tiny boom and you got to do that for a 300 story building for four hours and if you have an itch you die 
how is it possible to phys- how is it physically possible to do that but how is it mentally possible to do that how is it mentally possible to not get scared and not lose your focus for one second during those four hours one of the other greatest climbers in the world who again has never dreamed of doing this he said the pro- he said one of the difficult things is if you're at all nervous there's a downward spiral where you get nervous you pull harder with your hands that causes you to lean in closer to the wall, your upper body, and then your feet shoot out. And then you fall and you die. He says it takes incredible confidence to do this. You can't get nervous for a second because then you will die. <laughs> so how is he able to do this? This is a New York Times article. Uh, the guy who did it, his name is Alex uh, Honnold. H-O-N-N-O-L-D, Alex Honnold. He said, friends of Alex joke that when he was a baby, His mother must have stepped on his amygdala, the brain region that controls fear. Last year, MRI testing at the Medical University of South Carolina tilted the scales towards precisely that explanation, an underactive amygdala, not a negligent mother, by confirming that Hanold's fear circuitry really does fire with less vigor than most. So the part of his brain that deals with fear, the amygdala, or the hypothalamus is, uh, it doesn't fire. It doesn't fire the flight response like it would in someone else. Right? So any one of us, we would look at that, the amygdala would fire, and then we'd start thinking of all the worst things that could happen. Obviously, slip, fall, die. So you'd get scared. It wouldn't work. He's up there, 3,000 feet. I think the craziest part is if you're 3,000, let's say you're 2,995 feet, you got five feet left to go, and if you still make a mistake, you die, and you're actually higher than ever at that point. The whole thing seems impossible. So you got five feet left to go, and you still got to keep your focus and your attention, 100%. But if you get scared at that moment, if your amygdala fires at that moment, then you're going to start thinking, oh my gosh, I'm so close, I'm going to slip, I'm going to die, I'm going to fall, I'm going to die, and you will. But it's your amygdala that fires. Then you start thinking things. He doesn't have an amygdala, so he never starts thinking these things in the first place. Another friend of his said uh, that Alex has the capacity to compartmentalize fear, to rationalize it. His brain is so powerful that if a thought or feeling is not serving him, he can put it away. Wow, what if we could all do that? What if we were capable of, of having fears or negative thoughts, but... We could put them aside. What if our brains that dealt with fear, what if they weren't in control of us, but we were in control of it? Imagine what we'd be capable of. Now, again, there's some fear that's good, but there's some fear that cripples. I'll end on this quote. This is Elizabeth Gilbert. She has a book. It's called Big Magic. She wrote, Dearest Fear, creativity and I are about to go on a road trip together. I understand you'll be joining us because you always do. You are allowed to have a seat and you're allowed to have a voice, but you are not allowed to have a vote. You are not allowed to touch the road maps or suggest detours. You're not allowed to fiddle with the temperature. Dude, you're not even allowed to touch the radio. But above all else, you are absolutely forbidden to drive. Don't be driven by that part of your brain the size of an acorn. Excuse me, the size of a uh, almond. You're better than that. What you want to do is more important than that. 
1-888-933-93. Search for The Mike Slater Show on Facebook and on The Mike Slater Show uh, on Facebook. We have a link to my new book, which comes out on Monday. It's called How to Change Someone's Mind. And uh, you can pre-order it right now. comes out Monday morning, the ebook, and I think you'll like it. I think it'll help you change that person's mind who uh, you haven't been able to yet. Search for The Mike Slater Show on Facebook. You can buy it on Amazon. Mike Slater Show. Spread the word. You're listening to Mike Slater on the Blaze Radio Network.